Hello everyone and welcome to Behind the Ball, a show dedicated to talking all about the beautiful game of football. On today's episode we're talking about Maurizio Sarri and Chelsea. After losing the cup final against Manchester City and the utterly shocking moment between Sarri and Kepa, I'll discuss where they both currently stand and what the future holds for the club. We'll talk the style of play and his insistence for Plan A, famously now known as Sari Ball. Then the debate we have spoken about numerous times on this podcast. Why is N'Golo Kante not being played in his best position? Plus the news of a transfer ban that will stop Chelsea from signing players for the next two windows. Remember, you can get involved in the conversation on the Behind the Ball Twitter account. You can find it under at behind underscore the underscore ball. I'll also post a link to our Twitter handle in the description when every podcast goes live. So without further ado, roll those titles. Welcome to Behind the Ball, the podcast discussing the beautiful game. Well, hello, and welcome to this special episode all about Chelsea and Maurizio Sarri. Now, I guess there's no better place to start than the Carabao Cup final. And actually, Chelsea played pretty well. You know, they had good defensive structure. They didn't commit themselves too far forward in an attempt to stifle the attack of City players, and it worked. You know, unlike the game against City in the league two weeks ago, which I'm sure all of you listening saw, well, let's be honest, they got absolutely battered. This time, the midfield was much more compact. The two either side of Jorginho were much closer to him, allowing him uh, more security. It also didn't allow the likes of De Bruyne and David Silva to drop into little pockets, and that's where they create all of the dangerous situations that they do. And with Hazard, you know, you always have a chance. And, you know, even though he was playing in in his unfavoured position as a false nine and a position I just don't understand why he plays it but um, for obvious reasons in terms of um, uh, extra defensive cover and running back I can understand why he chose to play him there uh, this game Uh, with Higuain in there you probably lose someone defensively but often he found himself in a free roll or coming from the left-hand side where we we know he is at his most dangerous and actually arguably over the 120 minutes he was probably the best player on the pitch uh, there's another argument for VAR where he was probably through on goal and the linesman should have let the play go on if he'd scored and then checked VAR. Uh, so we still have a long way to go in terms of VAR, but that's a, a topic for another day. But even actually after the defeat, you know, in a lottery of a penalty shootout, which it is at the end of the day, a manager can only control so much. And I actually think Sari would have come out of the game with some degree of credit you know, by keeping such a good side at bay, a team he described uh, in his post-match interview as the best in Europe. You know, he showed also an evolution in his tactical approach to the game, you know, at the Etihad two weeks ago, which I think uh, shows his good managerial skills. However, unfortunately, instead it's going to be about the remarkable situation that we saw involving Kepa. So basically, Kepa went down with what appeared to be cramp and now there's arguments to be had to 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 even understand why a goalkeeper has cramp but there you go anyway Sari wanted to sub him off because there there appeared to be some level of confusion misunderstanding 
And at the end of the day, whether he was doing this because of the injury itself or because he tactically believed that Caballero was better at saving penalties, even Vincent Company said in his post-match interview, we didn't want Caballero to come on because obviously being an ex-Manchester City player, they know his strengths, they know his weaknesses. Um, he himself said that uh, Willy Caballero was a great shot stopper. He himself won a penalty shootout for Manchester City against Liverpool in a cup final. Uh, saving penalties so they knew he was a, a danger but in terms of Kepa you know you just can't do that you can't let your teammates down you can't show that level of selfishness I mean he's come out since and said that um, there was a misunderstanding and he didn't uh, want or expect anyone to think that he completely ignored his manager's decision making he just felt that there was a misunderstanding and he wanted to clear that up. From the outside, though, it just looked like a player that was more than willing to stand up to his manager because he probably believes that he's not going to be there for much longer. But this is a manager that a couple of weeks ago said that he was struggling to motivate his players and now it kind of looks like he can't control them either. I personally think the behaviour of Kepa, regardless of the situation, regardless of whether he perceived it to be right or wrong, or if he has potential discontent with the manager, I personally think it was absolutely disgraceful. Um, a lot of people have been saying on Twitter and social media that he should be sacked, he should never play for the football club again. I think that's a little bit extreme. What kind of made it worse for me also was that the fact that it was in a cup final, a game where really you need unity and everyone together, especially against a side that's better than you, and Manchester City are a better team than Chelsea, there's just no doubt about that. They really needed everyone pulling in the same direction. And that moment of, it was just chaos, wasn't it? From the bench to the pitch, you know, you saw David Luiz approaching Kepa, trying to get explanations. You see Zola coming on and shouting at Kepa and Sari is off storming down the tunnel. It's just smacks of lack of leadership and a manager which is in trouble, unfortunately. And as I say, I don't really feel like Sari helped himself at all, you know, screaming and shouting on the sidelines, walking down the tunnel in disgust only to turn back. And me and my wife were watching the game and we were talking. And at the end of the day, Sari, he could have forced his hand. He could have just told the, the fourth official, put his number up, he's coming off. And that's it. The player would have had to come off regardless of whether he thought it was a misunderstanding or not. He's made a decision, you abide by it and you get yourself off the pitch. Sari didn't react the right way, let him get away with it, and now he looks like he can't control the players, and that isn't going to look good in the boardroom, the people that are looking to potentially back him with money to make signings and putting their club in the hands of a manager they potentially don't trust. Uh, it's a very difficult situation. As I said, a lot of outrage has come uh, up on social media, and I think... The fact that he was a £70 million signing just this summer uh, as a replacement for the departing Thibaut Courtois to Real Madrid, I think the likelihood is he'll probably get a stern telling off behind closed doors. Um, as much as they perceive it to be something else in the media, I think it is what it is. And I think most people will know that from what they saw from the television images. So I think he'll get a stern telling off, but I fully expect him actually to be back in the team uh, come uh, Wednesday night against Tottenham. And what really actually stood out for me in terms of the two teams was you had this Manchester City team all together in a huddle pre-penalty shootout. The, the club staff, the 
the dignitaries, the the players, the players that weren't involved, players that had been subbed. They were all in one big huddle, and Guardiola was in the middle, pointing, pumping his chest, barking instructions, telling them to believe, I imagine, and just uh, clear their minds, and so on and so on. Uh, and they all looked to him as a figurehead to help them through the situation. And you move to the images of the Chelsea team and all you can see is Rudiger with his hand across Sari's chest trying to stop an infuriated Sari from getting to Kepa. That, in one image, really summed up where Chelsea are right now. And it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a good look, I'll be honest. And even when they did eventually huddle up just before the penalty shootouts, it was Cesar Aspilicueta that was, you know, barking instructions. And I get that, that the captain can do that. And I'm sure it happens to other clubs. Not every manager is going to be as demonstrative as uh, Pep Guardiola. But it just kind of felt like he was a man on the outside trying to look in rather than being the leader and getting everyone on board in, in, in what he wants. And I feel like a part of that is probably the reason why Kepa acted out so much, thinking he'd get away with it. Uh, unfortunately, uh, he probably will under Sari, but in terms of his character and our opinion as fans of him, that will be severely diminished because of that behaviour, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, and, and also the question is, of, of all of the chaos and everything that's going on, did that really affect them in the penalty shootout? I look at how how Kebiero is considered the better penalty saver, um, as I'd already mentioned earlier on in this podcast about uh, Caballero saving penalties in a, in a final against Liverpool for Manchester City. Kepa never, has never really had that much experience. He's never really had that much big game experience. Uh, and the fact that he defied in such a, a public manner that he wouldn't come off. Uh, did it affect him in the penalty shootout? Was he too up for it? Uh, I mean, he definitely 100% should have saved the Aguero penalty. He did save one from Leroy Sane. But at the end of the day... If he saves that one from Aguero, that could have been a completely different result. So the question is, will he survive? Uh, you know, will he still be in a job by the time you listen to this podcast? And honestly, I'm not so sure after today. To see a player show such a lack of respect for a manager shows that the dressing room isn't really on his side. I think that's a very bad sign for, for Maurizio Sarri and his future at Chelsea. But I, I do want to try and make this podcast somewhat fair. So I'm going to go back to the very beginning and when he was appointed. So back in the summer, Maurizio Sarri was appointed as manager of Chelsea. And after a number of short-term appointments, you know, this was actually supposed to be Chelsea's long-term manager. This guy isn't a serial winner like Conte or Mourinho, Solari or Hiddink. You know, this is a manager who has actually never won a major trophy and still hasn't, obviously, after today's defeat. You know, Chelsea, under the ownership of Roman Abramovich, have always been about the short term. You don't win trophies, you're gone. You know, you may even win the Premier League and FA Cup double like Ancelotti did and still lose your job. So when Sarri got this position, you know, I thought this was all about the long term and the style of play. That's what he was appointed for. You know, his football was lauded while at Napoli by many managers, players and pundits. Actually, his most famous of fans being Pep Guardiola. He was always very, very complimentary to Sarri and has been in the build-up to, to the game this weekend. You know, he's spoken of his um, sadness at his current plight uh, because he believes that he's a very good manager and his style of play is something to be um, respected and something to be admired. Um, and 
it, you know, it, it may well be, but it's just not going right for him right now. Um, and actually, the season started, you know, really, really well for Sari. You know, they were unbeaten until November 24th when they were, well, quite convincingly thrashed by Tottenham at Wembley. And as you know from listening to this podcast, I've always and always was a little bit wary of that run because of some of the performances I was seeing. And again, I'm going to mention it, and it's an argument. I've, it's, it's very old now, but his use of N'Golo Kante has been nothing short of bizarre, in my opinion. You know, why have the best player in the world in a deep-lying midfield role play on the right side of a three-man midfield? In fairness to Kante, he has actually done okay in that position with three goals and four assists. But it's the effect on the team under defensive situations where it has really, really cost them. In my mind, there is no doubt in defeats away at Tottenham and Arsenal, Wolves, Bournemouth and Manchester City that the lack of mobility of Jorginho, Sarri's big summer signing, has been, you know, it's been devastatingly exposed. For me, it's not even as if he's been the deep-lying midfield quarterback type player that Sarri wants. Look at his statistics over the season. He scored one goal and he's not had a single assist. That's pretty shocking for a £57 million signing that was supposed to be integral to the style of play you wanted. In fairness to Sarri, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a very good and stringent plan A. You know, just look at Pep Guardiola, who has his beliefs and sticks to them without ever going against it. Whatever the circumstance, he sticks to it. And another argument against Sarri, unfortunately, I don't want to turn this into Sarri bashing, but he had a player in Cesc Fabregas who, I'm going to be honest, is probably better in the position that he wants Jorginho to play than Jorginho. After all, Cesc Fabregas has 111, or had, he's gone obviously to Monaco now, 111 Premier League assists. That's second in the all-time list to Ryan Giggs. 41 of those have been with Chelsea over the past four and a half seasons. Now, I appreciate that Fabregas is getting older, but surely for your first season in the job, he could have been better utilised and more effective than Jorginho in that position if he was so insistent on playing this this type of football or having that type of player in that position. Allowing Jorginho the time to settle into a new life in a new country and a new league. Dip his toe in the water, so to speak. And as I said, I don't want to turn this into a, a bashing of a, a particular player either because clearly Jorginho is a talent. But I personally think he'd be better served alongside a player like Kante, you know, to help him with his defensive duties and just give him that extra security, a lot like they had today um, with Barkley and uh, Kante being so close either side of him um, during the final. It seems to me that Chelsea would be better served, you know, with a a 4-2-3-1 formation, you know, with uh, those two guys sitting and then Hazard, William Pedro and Hudson-Odoi vying for those three attacking positions behind Higuain. And another thing is, talking of Hudson-Odoi, I don't understand why he hasn't been playing. This guy is a 20-year-old, very talented player, courted by one of the biggest clubs, not only in European football, in world football, in Bayern Munich. And whenever I've seen him play, he has played well, you know, added some pace and dynamism to a Chelsea attack which is so over-reliant on Eden Hazard. Sarri was so insistent during January that he would not allow him to leave. Yet since the close of the window, he's played 13 minutes of Premier League football. I must admit, I do have admiration for Sarri, though. You know, he's getting it from all angles at the moment. The players appear to be questioning him. You know, just look at the situation with Kepa today. Pundits are without question. Chelsea supporters are, which is the most worrying thing. 
And it's very difficult, you know, for a very, for a clearly a very good man and coach. And he will, he will just not deviate from his plan. You know, he knows what he wants. And at the end of the day, I can give you my opinion on this podcast and I can give my opinion to anyone that asks me. But at the end of the day, I don't have the football knowledge he does, clearly. But it just appears so bad at the moment because what, what he is trying to implement is simply not working. And a lot like Pep Guardiola in his first season, this doesn't mean if given time he will not get it right eventually, you know, that these tactics can eventually work. But I do say one thing for Guardiola. You know, he has his certain style, but he is still very, very adaptable. For example, in the game against Chelsea two weeks ago, he placed Fernandinho as a centre-half when in a defensive block. But then when they're on the attack, he pushes him into the midfield area, allowing the other midfielders licensed to overload in attacking areas, not allowing opposition to get out without clearing the ball up the pitch. And then you recycle the ball and it starts again. During his time in England as well, Guardiola has also played with fullbacks tucked in and wingers very, very wide as well to block up all areas of the pitch. Again, pressuring and not allowing teams to get out. Sari, on the other hand, he does have his plan A, but he plays the same way every week with the same players in the same positions. There's no variation of the style, it seems. Even the substitutions are the same. Opposition uh, teams play Chelsea and they know, oh, you know what, after 70 minutes, the likelihood is 99% that Barkley is coming off for Kovacic or the other way around. I think Einstein once actually said is uh, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And it doesn't get any easier either off the pitch. You know, with Chelsea, they've just been handed a two-window transfer ban uh, for dealings involving youth players. And the club have confirmed, you know, they expect to appeal uh, and hopefully with this appeal, they'll delay the ban um, and that will allow them to spend big in the summer in preparation for the two windows without being able to sign anyone. I will say it does make the current situation and Eden Hazard's contract even more important and crucial. If he does refuse to sign a new contract, Chelsea will just simply have to sell him in the summer to make money. They wouldn't want to let a player of that calibre that they know they could get well over 100 million for go for free the following summer. The biggest issue, of course, is they'll have the money, but they won't be able to bring in any replacement if the appeal fails. And this, of course, will have catastrophic implications on the pitch. One thing, actually, it may guarantee, and this is something Chelsea have been guilty of for years and years, is actually their young players might get a chance in the first team. I don't know if you know this, but Chelsea have won the last five FA Youth Cups. They are producing great talent year in, year out. They actually have 41 players on loan around the world. You know, so maybe, just maybe, it could be a blessing in disguise. I don't think that will be the case for Sari though, because in order for him to play the style of football he wants to play, there's no doubt about it, he has to make more signings. He has to change it up and find people that can play the way he wants to play and play it well. At the moment, he's having to play players I don't think are necessarily suited to the positions. He knows how good N'Golo Kante is, for example, but because of the style he wants to play, he can't play him or doesn't want to play him in that deep-lying midfield role. Some will say, well, why don't you just sell N'Golo Kante and try and find someone that is world-class in that two players either side of the, of the deep-lying midfield player. But the risk is, from Chelsea's point of view, if Sarri goes, the chances are someone's going to come in and want to put N'Golo Kante in that deep-lying position because he's the best in the world. 
So if they're going to get rid of Kante, then you're really, really, as a club and as a board and as an owner, making a statement that you want to keep Maurizio Sarri for the long term. I will say, though, if it's not the case that, for example, they'll sell N'Golo Kante or the transfer ban uh, is implemented and they can't buy anyone else and he does lose Eden Hazard, of course he will get Christian Pulisic, who is a very good young player from America, very talented, um, the future of American football or American soccer. So there are good, talented players coming in through the door ahead of the transfer ban. However, if he can't get the players in he wants, I think it probably will make his position untenable. So that leads you on to really thinking, what are the options if he does lose his job? And there are definitely, you know, the glamorous, yet I would consider short-term appointments available. And when I think of that, I'm sure you know who I'm going to say, but I think Zinedine Zidane. The upside of getting Zidane in charge is Hazard definitely appears to be a big fan and it would definitely heighten Chelsea's chances of keeping hold of him. So that is potentially a very big reason to appoint him. You know, plus he's a big name manager, you know, who comes with a pedigree. You know, he's won three Champions Leagues in a row. I think he's the only manager to ever do that. Of course, from his playing days and from his name, he's bound to attract some of the biggest stars as well, as long as Chelsea have the funds to do so. And plus the team, I mean, imagine that a midf- uh, midfielder in that a team or uh, in the youth team, Zinedine Zidane, you know, they would have idolised him as a player. So he'll command instant respect. So in terms of the short term, I think that could be actually a very good appointment uh, for Chelsea. They could also, of course, go down the Frank Lampard route. And he's a player who actually has made, or an ex-player, sorry, should I say, who has made actually a pretty decent start to managerial life with Derby County in England's second tier. And actually, a hallmark of his early managerial career has been the use of young players. And I think about Mason Mount, who is actually on loan from Chelsea, uh, has been in England squads, uh, senior England squads, and is expected to be a huge star of the future. So he could uh, have an important part to play in the future, regardless of the manager uh, with the current transfer ban. Uh, I also think of Harry Wilson on loan from Liverpool. You know, they're two of Frank Lampard's biggest successes at Derby County. Would it be a huge risk? Of course. It could also really pay off, you know, with his history of the club. uh, It would add pressure because, um, you know, he's the all-time leading goal scorer with 211 goals. He would be putting his legacy on the line if if it was to go really badly. But he would be given more of a grace period because of that. He probably would. Fans would also be more patient. Really, if you want a really, really long-term project, just ask Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, who probably, in if he was managing today, he probably would have lost his job before he won all of those Premier League titles and all of those trophies. You need time to build a sustainable model and to build success. Frank Lampard, because of his connections, might just get that time needed. And... He would probably also be the long-term appointment that Chelsea appeared to crave because they appointed Sarri in the summer. You don't appoint a manager like that who hasn't won a major trophy if you're not looking long-term. Of course, the idea of John Terry as well, now coaching as well at Aston Villa. He would be appointed alongside Lampard, I assume. Uh, It would have, you know, Chelsea fans with emoji love hearts uh, in their eyes. It would be without question, quite the double act. But a risk for Chelsea, uh, a a club so used to winning over the past uh, 10 years since Abramovich took charge. So it may not come with instant success, but if they want that long-term plan, 
I think Frank Lampard and John Terry with Jody Morris as well and his uh, knowledge of the Chelsea youth team, that could really come in handy and they could build something uh, pretty special. Whatever happens at Chelsea though, you know, it's clear for me they need some leadership. Uh, today proved that more than any other uh, day and it was as clear as, as clear as a blue sky. But they, yeah, they need leadership, either from Sari, the board or the owner. People seem to be questioning everything inside and outside of the club. If Sari is indeed their man, you know, stick with him and help him build a team. A band permitting, of course. But he's a likeable guy. He comes across, uh, he's very honest. And I, I always appreciate honesty from managers and uh, my team, Nottingham Forest. If there's a, a game that we've lost or a game we haven't played well, I expect the manager to be honest and open with the supporters. I don't expect him to try and deceive us. Although I know he has some level of uh, duty to protect his players. But I like Sari's approach in that sense, I do. But being a nice guy and being open and honest usually doesn't help you when you're the manager of Chelsea. You have to deliver results and deliver them fast. And the way it's going at the moment and the way the supporters are turning on him and his treatment of hudson Adoy, who the fans just adore and want to see getting more regular game time and his management of uh, N'Golo Kante and his insistence on Jorginho, it just seems a little bit like he's running out of time quite quickly. Uh, so what do you think? Um, will Sari survive to the end of the season? Will he be given another chance? Uh, does he have to win a trophy to survive in the summer? Will he even make it to their... Um, can he win the Europa League? These are all questions that I'm putting to you guys. And of course, you can let me know by getting involved in the conversation. Uh, follow the Twitter account. You can find it under at behind underscore the underscore ball. And remember, it's not easy for me to say, but easy for you guys to type. Uh, thanks again for listening. And you'll be hearing me next time on Behind the Ball. <laughs>